listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. This podcast is not approved for CME credit. Every diabetes treatment plan is different. Individual results may vary. Nothing you hear on this podcast should be considered medical advice. All claims are supported by clinical evidence referenced in the show notes. For clinical study results, please refer to the Dexcom G7 user guide. For product-related questions, please refer to the instructions for use. For complete safety information, go to Dexcom.com forward slash safety hyphen information. Welcome to Real Time Real Talk, a Dexcom podcast dedicated to pharmacists and other healthcare professionals on the front lines helping people thrive who live with diabetes. Dexcom is the leading developer of real-time continuous glucose monitoring, also known as RTCGM, and other digital technologies to better manage diabetes. Real-time CGM provides critical glycemic metrics for physicians, pharmacists, and diabetes specialists to act upon to help their patients live with as much freedom as possible. Dexcom empowers people to take control of diabetes through innovative, continuous glucose monitoring. Real-time Real Talk is a proud member of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. For more information on all Dexcom technologies, products, and services, please visit Dexcom.com. That's D-E-X-C-O-M.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Real-Time Real Talk, where we talk about all things continuous glucose monitoring, or CGM. I'm your host, Cher Pastori. Today, we'll be talking about the recent Medicare expansion and coverage of CGM for all people with diabetes using insulin. So these changes have created an opportunity to explore some ways and we can improve um, access in the older adult population. We have two guest speakers with us today who are well-versed in this area. Both of our speakers today are uh, employees of Dexcom. We have Jesse Bushman, he is Director of U.S. Policy, and we have Renee Taylor, and she is Director of Medical Science. Welcome, everybody. Thanks, Sarah. Thank you. Thanks for coming to talk about this exciting topic. So let's just get right into it. Jesse, I'm going to start with you, um, and can you tell all our listeners who may or may not be aware of these new guidelines, can you first, let's just start with, what are the new guidelines and how does it differ from the previous guidelines? Yeah, so first of all, what these guidelines are, are the requirements that somebody has to meet in order to have a CGM paid for by the Medicare program. And this is with original Medicare, and the same applies if you're in a Medicare Advantage plan. Um, before this change, which will be effective April 16th of 2023, uh, somebody had to be using insulin at least three times a day, and they had to be varying the dosage of the insulin uh, based on whatever their glucose readings were. And the change that happened was the agency eliminated the requirement that somebody be using insulin three times a day. So the first category of people is you can be using any kind of insulin, whether it's inhaled insulin, uh, a single shot of basal insulin per day, even when the weekly forms of insulin come out, uh, if you use a weekly form of insulin, you will still be able to qualify for coverage for a CGM. The second group of people uh, is 
these are people who are not using any insulin at all, but they experience hypoglycemic events, which is a low glucose value. And there are a number of oral medications and some non-insulin injected medications that may affect uh, somebody's glucose levels. If the person has what's referred to as a level two or a level three uh, hypoglycemic event, they can qualify for CGM coverage. And do you want me to get into the difference between those level two and level three events and how you identify them? Yes, Jesse, for sure. Tell us about that. All right. So um, these are events where your blood glucose hits uh, less than 54. And a level two event is just simply having a, a glucose level of less than 54. And the policy is written so that you have to have at least two of these events before you can get the CGM. You have to document that they happened. A level three event is also less than 54 in terms of your glucose value, but it means that you, you needed somebody else to help you out. You get a little disoriented. Somebody had to give you juice, sugar, uh, glucagon, something like that to get you going. And if you have one of these level three events, and it really doesn't matter who helps you out, you know, it could be your spouse, child, coworker, it doesn't matter. But as long as somebody helped you out, that's a level three event. And having a single one of those will allow you to get coverage for CGM if you document that it, your provider documents that it happened. Okay, so um, just in case some of our listeners are listening, we have listeners from all over the world. So I'm just going to clarify that it's 54 milligrams per deciliter. And I don't know the conversion, but I know who's ever listening to this. If they're not in milligrams per deciliter, they will probably know the conversion, but that's what we're talking about uh, in the United States, milligrams per deciliter. Correct. Okay. Now, Renee, how do these changes impact Medicare patients? So what does it mean for the patient with these changes? Yeah, thanks, Cher. Um, well, the consensus guidelines for the, the treatment of older adults with diabetes emphasize the prevention of hypoglycemia. And I think that that's one of the greatest benefits of CGM for Medicare patients. You know, it's no secret, it's well-documented that older adults are more prone to hypoglycemia. They have higher rates of hypoglycemia and awareness. Uh, they have a higher rate of hospitalization due to hypoglycemic events. It's actually double that um, of younger patients. And because of that, the international consensus on time and range recommends that older adults spend less than 1% of their time below 70. That's less than 15 minutes a day. And I think that's really tough to do without the help of a, a reliable, accurate you know, CGM. The, uh, the Dexcom G6 and G7 systems specifically offer a predictive low glucose alert that provides a 20-minute advanced warning of potentially dangerously low glucose levels so that patients and their care partners can act quickly you know, to prevent a, a hypoglycemic event. And we see that the urgent low soon feature is highly utilized by our patients and has been shown to significantly reduce the amount of time spent in that danger zone. Um, you might actually be surprised at just how critical this feature is for keeping insulin-treated patients 
Um, and those at higher risk for hypoglycemia, you know, particularly older adults, safe. Just within the last couple of years, there have been more than 52 million urgent low soon alerts have been acknowledged by patients using um, the Dexcom. And even more frightening is that 11 million of those alerts occurred in the middle of the night uh, when most folks aren't likely to recognize the symptoms of hypoglycemia. So this is a potentially life-saving feature for, for older adults who are just a vulnerable population. Um, I also would just add one more thing when it you know, comes to CGM benefits for, for the Medicare population, the ability to share glucose data, you know, including alerts with, with care partners um, who may be living in their home or could be a neighbor across the street or someone across the country, has been associated with enhanced feelings of safety for, for both people with diabetes and, and their care partners. And I think it may very well help older adults who are living alone and wanna remain independent in their own home. Those are just a few um, of, of the few benefits. Right. So Brene, can you just tell our listeners in case they're not familiar what sharing glucose data is or or how would they do it? They have to download the follow app. Is that correct? Yeah. So anybody who would like to you know to follow some someone with diabetes would would download um, the follow app. Um, and uh, there's a few steps involved in that where the patient would have to um, you know allow. Um, give permission for somebody to follow them, and then they can set up specific criteria in terms of when they when a follower would would want to be notified. Um, so it just add, adds a, a second level of of protection, um, and it kind of increases that safety net for the individual with diabetes. Yes, and so on Dexcom G6 and G7, we can have a person could have up to ten followers, just so our listeners are aware, and um, just also so they know. So I I use the follow up because I have a loved one who is on a G7, and so many times, you know, I'm like, okay, you're 118 and dropping, please, please take some glucose and, you know, make, make a treatment decision. So, so really the follow-up um, and the ability to share data is, is quite amazing. Absolutely. Yes. So thank you for that. So Jesse, I want to go back to talking about the hypoglycemic events and how will the physicians document the patient's hypoglycemic events? And is there, are there things that need specifically to be documented? Sure. So when the, the Medicare contractor put out their final policy, they were asked about this particular issue, like how should this, the uh, providers and suppliers document the, the occurrence of the level two and level three events? And, and they've actually given three different um, avenues through which that can be done. So the first thing that they say is document the actual glucose value. And they don't say how that could happen. So it could be a finger stick, it could be a professional CGM that a physician puts on a patient, it could be a sample CGM that somebody takes home with them. Uh, if there's somebody who's aging into Medicare and they had a personal CGM that was covered under their commercial uh, coverage before they got into Medicare, they could use the data from that uh, um, personal CGM that was covered by their uh, old employer insurance. There's not a time frame about when this has to be documented. So it doesn't have to be like within the last three months or six months or whatever. It just says it has to be documented. 
So that's helpful. So the actual glucose value, however you manage to get it, that's one way of documenting it. The second way that a provider could document it is simply by notating that it is a level two event, uh, or in the case of a level three event, just notate it's a level three event. And then apparently you don't have to list the actual glucose value, just you know provide that label and that's an understood label. Uh, and, and incidentally, I would say that there are a group of clinicians with uh, Dexcom support who are working to try to get some ICD-10 diagnostic codes. Uh, we don't know how long that effort will take, but hopefully we'll ultimately have those codes and that will make it even simpler. They can just notate the ICD-10 code. Um, and then the third option that's been given is that somebody, could, a provider or patient could just provide the log from their BGM testing. Uh, you know, a lot of those can be downloaded and, and given directly to a provider or shared in a medical record in some fashion. So those are the three methods of, of uh, documenting the glucose value or the occurrence of the level two or level three event. And again, with the with the level two events, the person has to have at least two of them. So they have to have recurrent level two events. So there has to be some kind of documentation saying you had two of them and that there was a an effort to modify therapy to adjust in between. And then with the level three event, there has to be a notation that the person required assistance from a third party. So there, there's kind of like two thing, two parts of the documentation, the glucose level, and you can get that in any of a, an array of ways. And then the, the second piece is that it recurred or that you had help from a third party. And that's how the documentation will be done. Okay. And is this different from how it was done before, or is just the metrics that are documented or different than before? Yeah, so um, previous to this policy, the ability to get a CGM based on your glucose levels was not part of the coverage criteria. So the this, this information about how to document that in specific was just a moot point. It wasn't part of the policy. So this is new. Oh, good. And so Jesse, <clears throat> How many people will be affected by this change? Do we know? That, that is a very good question. So I, I bifurcate that into the people who are taking basal insulin only. Because remember, the, the older policy was you had to be taking insulin three times a day. So that was basically people who were on MDI, multiple daily injections, using rapid-acting insulin. Um, we think that there are about one and a quarter million Medicare beneficiaries who are taking basal insulin only. That's our, our best estimate. And we feel relatively confident in that. So that's a big group of people. And they don't have to have a hypo event. All, all you have to do with them is document, hey, you know, Mrs. Jones is taking basal insulin. You know, she's got Basaglar. And we've got that in our medical record. We've got a prescript for it. That's very easy to find. It's very easy to get those people onto a CGM. And it's supported um, by the standards of care from the American Diabetes Association and the American Association of Clinical Endocrinology. Um, where, where the, where it's a little harder to say how many people are impacted is how many people are having these hypoglycemic events, because the coding, if you want to identify these people, you can look at healthcare claims, but the coding for hypoglycemia is generic. It isn't specific to a level, which is why we're running out trying to get those level specific codes right now. So when you look at the claims codes, you can't tell whether somebody's having a level two or a level three event you can see that they're having hypoglycemia. And then the other thing is that many people who um, many people who have these level two and level three events, they just take care of them on their own. 
they never show up at a physician's office. They don't go to an ER. They don't call an ambulance. So we have no claims and we have no insight into that. Um, looking strictly at the claims and using some proxies to try to guess how many people are having these hypo events, we think that it's probably 10 to 20% of the population of people with diabetes and that's a very who, who are not taking any insulin at all. And that's a very conservative estimate. And there are, there are about a little more than 19 million Medicare beneficiaries who have diagnosed diabetes. Of them, about three and a half million are taking insulin. So you take, you know, back that three and a half out of 19, you're looking at 15 and a half million people somewhere in the order of 10 to 20%, probably more, are having these hypo events. And these hypo events we know are, they're not caused just by sulfonylureas. There are other types of medications that are driving those events as well. And I, so I think the takeaway for the providers and, and for the patients themselves is if you have diagnosed diabetes, um, figure out a way to get like a sample CGM or have a professional CGM used. Use a finger stick if you start feeling a little funny, so you can document those lows. And you can you can get a professional or uh, get your own personal CGM. Yeah, wow, I love that, and I like how you at the end just made it so concise. That was so helpful. That's definitely going to help our listeners out there. Um, Renee, can you talk about any other any other relevant clinical studies in this area? Um, is the mobile study one of them or? What are what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Mobile is a, a landmark study, actually. <clears throat> Excuse me for the less intensively treated type two population, and was largely responsible for CMS's expanded coverage criteria. Uh, just a, a little background on on the study: it was a, a randomized control trial that involved 175 ethnically and socioeconomically diverse adults with type 2 diabetes who were using one or two um, injections of basal insulin per day without any prandial or mealtime insulin. And notably, this study was conducted at 15 primary care centers in the U.S., which is where most Medicare patients that use basal insulin are, are treated. And um, the study compared randomized groups of, of CGM and, and SMBG users. And after eight months, um, the group that was using Dexcom G6 experienced significant reductions in A1C, increased their time and range, decreased time spent in hyperglycemia you know, as compared to the SMBG group. And as it relates to the Medicare population, um, there was a sub-analysis of the, of the mobile data that looked specifically at the impact of CGM on adults 65 years and older with type 2 using basal insulin only. And that sub-analysis showed that older adults using Dexcom um, experienced a greater increase in time and range and also experienced A1C reduction um, as compared to using just SMBG alone. And interestingly enough, that benefit appeared to be at least as great as that was observed in younger adults. Wow. It's so great. The technology is amazing. And Renee, is Dexcom G7 available for Medicare patients? 
Yes. So CMS approved coverage for G7 for, for Medicare beneficiaries on February 13th, which was actually earlier than we expected. Um, so now Medicare patients with type 1 and type 2 diabetes that meet the criteria will have access to the newest CGM technology. Um, they'll have the opportunity to use uh, the G7 app and the G7 receiver, you know, both of which have been designed with simplicity in, in mind. Uh, we think that's critically important um, that diabetes technology is easy to use, uh, you know, particularly for, for older adults. And if you'd like, I could share a few words uh, just about the usability study um, that we conducted uh, just to test that. Yes, tell us. Okay, sure. Um, so just to test how well we did on, on that front as, as uh creating a, or developing a, a, a CGM device that was reliable, accurate, and, and very easy to use. Um, we conducted a human factors study where we provided G7 to adults 65 or older who had never used CGM before. We put them in a room, we gave them a small little G7 box and nothing else. And all they had access to were the instructions in the box and in the G7 app. They were simply told to put the sensor on, turn your app on, connect the sensor, and we'll see what happens. And what happened was everyone did it correctly. And in a post-survey, the participants were asked about their ability to use the instructional materials. <clears throat> Out of 100, they scored in almost 93. It took on average only 12 minutes to set up the G7. And when asked if they thought they could set up the system on their own, the average score was 4.9 out of 5. And they also said that the G7 showed information clearly and effectively, 4.9 out of 5. So we're really happy um, with those results and, and um, hope that um, everyone enjoys um, all of the, the benefits that G7 has to offer, particularly the enhancements as it relates to ease of use. Yes. Remember um, the G5, Renee? <laughs> Oh, that was a, very well. Uh, yes, it was a little, a little harder to use, a little harder to insert than the G7. Yes. Um, okay, we only have a couple more questions. So, Jesse, I know it might seem a little strange, but I remember when you and I had a conversation about this, it seems as though there are some rules there in pregnancy. Is that right? Or they made some changes to the guidelines. And I'm just saying a little bit strange because I know we're talking about Medicare. So, so if you could just tell us about that. Yeah. You know, just out of curiosity, I looked up on Wikipedia, what's the oldest, uh, the oldest woman who ever had a baby. And there was a woman who was 65 and had a baby. Um, but uh, mo most of the time people think of Medicare as, as older people. And that is true. It's for people who are 65 and older, but it also covers people who are disabled and blind. And as a consequence of that, there are several hundred thousand women of childbearing age who are covered by the Medicare program. And there are several thousand births that are covered under that program every year. But more importantly, the Medicare coverage criteria are pretty frequently uh, copied or mirrored by Medicaid programs. And the Medicaid programs cover about 43% of the births in the country. And there are commercial payers who will also adopt some of Medicare's policies. So it, it has a, a, a trickle down effect that's important uh, for pregnancy outside of the Medicare program. One of the things that they did in the new policy was they just specified that a CGM needs to be prescribed 
in accordance with a, an FDA indication for its use. And the FDA has um, cleared the Dexcom G7 system for use by pregnant women. And so what that means is if a woman is pregnant and wants to get a CGM, she can go right ahead and get it. There's no barrier to that. Well, by pregnant women who have diabetes. Yes. Right? Yeah, you okay. still have to have diabetes and you still have to meet the other criteria, which is either that you're using you're using some kind of insulin, whether it's basal or you know multiple injections or, or even a pump, or you have to have a documented uh, recurrent level two or a single level three hypoglycemic event. Okay, Jesse. So I feel like we just need to say that again. So you're saying if a person, not for the pregnancy, sorry, just for this change in guidelines. So even if a person is not on any form of insulin at all, but they have the level two or level three event, not on insulin, they will be covered by Medicare if they have those occurrences. Correct. Wow. That and is that so... is actually the large, that's the larger population. Probably you... significantly larger than the people who are taking basal insulin only. Right. It's right. tougher to identify them. Right. Amazing. This really is going to change a lot of things, you know, and it really is going to hopefully help a lot more people out there um, and give them access to this. Did you want to comment anything, Renee? No, I I, I couldn't I couldn't agree more. Um, I think the fact that access is no longer you know a barrier for for Medicare patients who take insulin or are not on insulin but experiencing hypoglycemia is just a major win for people with diabetes, um, you know, some of which may not even be aware of CGM um, or the benefits of the technology or all of the advancements that have been uh, made in recent years. Um, there's a good chance they may not realize that CGM is available to them. So, um, you know, we're really trying to increase awareness um, um, and make sure others um, are aware that this, this technology is now um, available to a much broader population than ever before. Sure. I would add one other thing, and that is simply to give props to the guys at Medicare who did this. Um, we we had really solid evidence to show the value of CGM in the basal uh, insulin using population. Uh, there's a lot of evidence around the problems that hypoglycemia leads to, but there's not a ton about exactly how CGM can help address that. And even though it's an obvious, like logical leap to understand that if you have a CGM, you'll be able to identify the hypos. And um, they did a really thorough review of the evidence. Uh, they went out and looked at sources and coverage documents that we had not cited to them. And we gave them 170 citations when we sent in our request for these changes. And so they went even beyond that. They did a very thorough review of the evidence out there. And they came out with a policy that uh, was more liberal than what we had requested. It will help more people. Uh, and I just have to give them kudos. They did an excellent job and they did it very, very quickly, the, the, about half the time of their normal process. So uh, I, I just have to congratulate them. You know, sometimes people gripe about government and this was a case where it really worked. Yes, so good. Good to know. Thank you. So Jeffy, um, just I want you to say, I know you already mentioned it, but please mention again, since this is so important, when are these changes effective? April 16th of this year, so nine days from when we're recording this. 
Okay, great. Now, this this is our last question, and it's going to be to both of you. Uh, I'll start with you, Jesse. Um, so, is there anything else you want to share today with our audience? So, or do you want to, any key takeaways that you want our listeners to know from our discussion today? Yeah, I, I would just repeat that even if you're not on insulin, you can get a CGM if you can document these events. And the best way to do it is get a sample CGM or a professional CGM. Take a finger stick if you're feeling bad. Because once you can document it, then you can get it. And you may already have some of that documented in your past record. If it is in your past record, pull it out and use it. Thank you. Do you want to um, add anything, Renee? I would just add that, you know, we've seen in clinical studies as well as in, in the real world that when given the opportunity, uh, older adults can and, and do use CGM successfully. And recently, the American Diabetes Association um, updated their 2023 ADA standards of care and now have a recommendation um, that CGM should be offered for all adults using insulin therapy, you know, including those using basal insulin alone, which I believe, as Jesse mentioned, is about a third of, of whom are, are covered by Medicare. So that's a whole new group of folks that haven't had access to CGM before. And I think we're going to see some really great outcomes as the Medicare population starts to use CGM more regularly. And I, and I can't wait. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Jesse. Thank you, Renee. This is a great conversation. I think it's really gonna, has the ability to help a lot of people. Thank you to the FDA. Uh, and thank you so much for all of our listeners. And tune in next time to another episode of Real Time, Real Talk. <laughs> <laughs>